when you're speaking with powerful people, when you're speaking with rich and affluent, successful people, they are just up there, but the same as us here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Today, we have on Steve Sims, which is the founder and CEO of Bluefish, a luxury connoisseur service, and the author of the book, Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Steve Sims is also a master networker. This is how he gets to do everything that he needs to for his clients. So in this episode, we'll be discussing how to build a vast network, never falling into conformity, staying true to yourself, straying from common forms of communication, humanizing the billionaires, and little tips and tricks on the little things that build a strong relationship. I learned so much from this conversation and everything Steve talks about is easy to implement into your work. I hope you guys enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Steve Sims. Steve, thank you so much for being on. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So first off, I, I can't really wrap my mind around the bluefish and what it is. Can you help describe to the audience everything that you do? Because you have so much around and under that name brand. Yeah, so um, bluefish is the uh, the name I came up with my company back in the uh, the 80s. Uh, sorry, the uh, in the in the early 90s. And since then, it's become an attitude and a style. So we've got a VIP concierge. We had a, uh, a cause, a charity cause element. But now we also do uh, consulting and coaching for entrepreneurs. So the business in a nutshell, well, probably is best summed up by Forbes because Forbes called me the modern day Wizard of Oz. Rich people come to me when they want to achieve something fantastical, like visit the Titanic, sing on stage with our favorite you know, rock star, um, sit front row at the Milan Fashion Week, anything you can dream of plus is what we do. So we, we get it done if you can afford it. That's, first off, like, how do you, some of the things as I know other stories are like, you know, you know, you had someone get married by the Pope in the Vatican. How are you able to accomplish these things? Well, for a start, I don't ask myself that. Um, if you start recognizing hurdles, you tend to fall over them. So, you know, someone wants to get married, uh, someone wants to get married in the Vatican, uh, de-elephantize it. And uh, for anyone out there, yes, that's not a word, but it should be. A lot of people look at things and they go, well, that's too big. I can't, and they start going into the, I can't do it, I can't afford it. They will come up with one reason that they want to do something and then 30,000 reasons why it can't possibly happen rather than the one reason that it should. So if you look at the Vatican, the Vatican's a public venue. Just happens to be one of the most you know amazing venues in the world, but it's still a public venue. So if you just downgrade that public venue to your local town hall, and go about it in the exact same manner and not be scared of it, then you can usually achieve a lot more. So don't recognize the hurdles, de-elephantize it, and just bring it down to its raw roots of whatever it is. So it's just thinking more simply and going straight forward. Going just primitively, you know, quite simply, when someone said to me they wanted to do that in Italy, the first thing I thought was, okay, who do I know in Italy? Take two steps forward. There's a, there's a funny trend that happens. If you start taking two steps ahead, then another two, and then another two, you end up with momentum and you can't stop momentum. So if I needed to do this in, in Rome or in Italy, I needed to know people in Italy. Then I needed to meet know people in Rome. Then I needed to know people that worked in the Vatican. Then I needed to know people of power in the Vatican. So it, there's a, and I, I, I hate, I'm sorry about this, but I do a lot of my stuff in quotes. 
I learned my my information through the power of metaphors and quotes. Oh yeah. Um, someone actually said to me before, you can't get on the roof without a ladder. So just look at that ladder as the runs that you need to go through to get to where you want to go and just find out where the runs are. Don't focus on the roof because no one can step onto a roof. Yeah. Focus on the runs. No, and I totally agree. And you know, if I if you trace back to like you know the first step of the of the ladder, you described it as like as a smile, giving people a smile. How do you start with even like even in like networking spaces or when you want to do something for your client, um, starting with a smile to a relationship and then that trust building? How do you go from one to the other? So I did a speech once on the the three hundred year old oak tree, and um, you need again metaphors and analogies. Mm-hmm. Um, there are far too many people that think that just because they've got 5,000 friends on Facebook, they're very popular, okay? A friend is someone that knows your middle name, knows your favorite drink, knows what your allergies are, knows what your music is. Your friend, your fr- your friend is someone that you don't really have to have much of a conversation with, but you still are able to communicate with them. Um, now, I'm a great believer in 300-year-old oak trees. So when you meet someone, You've got to think of the analogy of that oak tree. The second, the second you get that seed in your hand of the relationship, there are a billion ways you can kill it. You can crush it in your hands. If you don't feed it, you don't water it. If you, if you throw it in the bin, it is very, very fragile. That's just like the first time you meet someone. Now, again, like the oak tree, you have to plant it, nurture it, feed it, prune it, protect it, until it gets to a 300-year-old oak tree when quite simply at that age, you can drive a bus into it and it's not going to get damaged, okay? That's the exact same analogy as a relationship. The first time you meet someone, you're nurturing, you're pruning, you're building that relationship until a point when someone can turn around and go, oh, that's Steve Sims, you don't want to trust them. And they can turn around and go, but I do, because by that time, they have a 300 year old oak tree and nothing's going to hurt them. So you've really got to think of every relationship you get into is this a relationship that I want to become a 300-year-old oak tree? Therefore, how do I nurture it? How do I protect it? How do I prune it? And in doing so, the early stage is that pruning and nurturing and feeding is what I like to look at as, as basically being a value, engaging in the relationship, being at ease with the relationship. Because if you, if you finish a, a conversation with someone and you walk away and you go, oh, that was, that was tiring then there was too much effort in that conversation. And you can't keep that effort going for long. So you've got to be able to engage in a seamless communication. You've got to find bullet points and platforms where there's a a, a relatable aspect on. Someone may be hugely, um, hugely rich, powerful, beautiful, tall, short, whatever, but do they like the same music as you? You know, do they like the same clothing as you? Are they allergic to Thai food? You know, just all of the, find something that's relatable. And every time you find things that's relatable, that's that run on that ladder, okay? You get stronger and stronger when you can find that resonance. So I'm a great believer that when you get a relationship, ask yourself first, would I like this to become a 300 year old oak tree? And if so, focus on the nurturing, pruning and being of value to that tree. Yeah, no, well, it's gonna sound a little weird, but you, you work with like a lot of really famous up and up people, like big, like big money, a lot of power. And it sounds like the way you start relationships is like you humanize it. 
You do oh, like yeah. you do the same thing that you take away, like uh, what we talked about before, doing the big things. You take away the, these big aspects and realize that you know they're a person. Do you know? Funny enough, that that has been my charm. You see that the reason I'm so thrilled to be talking with you is because there is something you're at the moment in education, okay. And you're being taught so many things of which I don't agree, but that's a whole new conversation. <laughs> the trouble is when you leave um, your, your schooling, mm -hmm. a new level of education begins. Right. Now, I class myself as an educated man. I also openly say that school had nothing to do with that education. But when I left school, and of course I was in London, all of a sudden I was taught, well, you don't say that. You act this way, you dress that way. All of a sudden you're put through this filter where you have to conform to get on. And all of this stuff you learn just basically adds layers upon layers upon layers upon You stop being you and you find these people that they get a job in Silicon Valley. The first thing they do is they buy a hoodie and a pair of vans or they get a job in New York and they go out and they buy a sharp suit. Everyone suddenly conforms to these perceptions and these, these preconceived ideas and visions of what they should look like. The thing about you is you haven't learned that yet. So whenever I speak to colleges and universities, I tell them, try not to change who you are because exactly who you are now, there's no one else on the planet like that. Yeah. You are 100% individual and unique. And the daft thing is so many people as they get older, they try to do that. I spend most of my coaching and consulting re-educating and de-educating them on what they know so that they can communicate better. When you're speaking with powerful people, when you're speaking with rich and affluent, successful people, they are just up there, but the same as us here. And when you can confront them on, again, using that level of the 300-year-old oak tree, on a resonance level, if you can talk to them and go, I believe you like vintage chairs. And I challenge people. Whenever I, whenever I speak to someone, um, I do challenge them. So if it's someone that's important that I want to build a relationship with them, I will actually do a bit of research first. Mm -hmm. And one of my little tricks is to type that name into Google. Don't read Google, but look at the images. The images will show you different parties and events that they're at. If a lot of those pictures suddenly show you that they're at a horse event, then they're into equestrian. If a lot of them show that they're in galas, then they like charity galas. So when you can bump into them, and bumping in is a, is a, a basis of positioning, you make sure you're at the same event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you bump into them, you go, hey, how are you? you know, yeah, you're, you're so and so. Here's a funny thing, and give them something that's unusual. Like the, if you run up to a celebrity and you go, oh, I really like your movie, that, that, movie, that song you did, I, that was really inspirational. They've heard that a million times. If you could walk up to Justin Bieber and go, I heard a rumor you like collecting vintage chairs. What's all that about? You know, and ask them to explain why that's passionate to them. Because everybody in the planet, and you can practice this, everybody loves talking about what they're passionate about. So if you can identify what they're passionate about before you meet them, then you can walk up to them and go, I saw you at an event and you were talking about vintage wines. I'm a whiskey guy. Would you care to explain to me why vintage wine is so wonderful? And then literally I've had amazing conversations where they've gone, actually, yes. And then you can ask them. You can allow them to educate you, but in the same time, you're building up a conversation. 
during that conversation, they'll say things like, oh, and in France, it's great temperature. And you go, oh, do you go to France much? I do. So do I. Whereabouts in France? You're finding those levels of resonance again. So that's, that's my little trick there. No, of course. And like, even back to what you said about um, the every, like that cookie cutter, you know, you get educated and you get conformity. I've noticed so much that like, when you start to leave the box of conformity, everyone goes nuts. Like everyone loves it, um, especially on like social media platforms. As soon as you start becoming yourself, and as soon as you start going, I'm gonna, I want to do things this way because I want to do things this way. People absolutely love it because it's, it's not what's typically brought to them. And then, did you, uh, did you see that movie, The Greatest Show on Earth? Oh, wait, The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman, yeah, that's yeah, right. Sorry, yeah. I do you know there's something funny that happens when you're when you're receptive so when you're going to different events yeah. and you may have had this when you're listening to podcasts or when you're listening to music you'll listen the music will be playing and then all of a sudden one line will be said and it will just hit you like it was meant just for you have you ever had that experience all the time <laughs> yeah it's like when you have a, a, a breakup and all of a sudden you can't listen to that song anymore because there's that one line in it that just talks to you. Yeah. So I was watching this movie the other day and I've got three kids and I'm sitting on the couch and there's this moment in the movie where he turns around and he says, no one that, no, uh, what was it? Uh, no one that did, any, did anything great did it by following others. Yeah. In the movie. And I remember sitting there watching the movie and there was a lot of singing and dancing going on and it wasn't really my kind of movie. And he came out with that line. And I was like, damn, that was to me. I made a note of it. So there it is. No one that did anything great did it by following others. Yeah, and I was talking to, um, I think it was like Bruce Van Horn, I think, about that too. He's like, you know, no one ever went, and no one ever said, you know, Katy Perry, I just I just wanted that so bad. I wanted her lifestyle. I wanted to be like her so much that I went out and did it. He goes, no one's done that. No one said I wanted to be like this person so much that I became like them. You have to find your own route to things. I think that one of my, one of my very, very lucky moments mm-hmm. was the fact that um, growing up uh, financially poor um, in London, um, we, we had to, you know, we had to talk to people. Of course, I'm a, I'm a, I was born in the, uh, in the late 60s, so I did all my growing up in the 80s and 90s. We didn't have computers and we didn't have all the other social platforms. We didn't even have MySpace. Um, so um, we didn't even have Friendster. Um, <laughs> so we had to communicate with people. And being a, being a street lad in London, you learn how to chat with someone. And if you said the wrong thing, you got to punch in the head. <laughs> as the platforms have changed, as the modes of communication have changed, it's given us a million ways to communicate with each other badly and it really has yeah me and you we're having a conversation now we're here Mm. on video we're we're, i can see your expression i can see when you're smiling you know we're we're having a conversation we're communicating the only sense that's actually missing from this is smell and i've got two old dogs in the background here so you're lucky (laughs) you're not getting that um but that's the only thing that we're missing from all aspects of the requirement for communication Someone sending a tweet to someone now needs to be interpreted by the other man. There's a lot of effort. Oh yeah. If you're in a good mood and I send you a tweet, you'll receive it in a happy mode. 
okay? Yeah. If you've had something disastrous happen to you last night, or someone's ripped you off or stabbed you in the back, you can interpret what I wrote in a negative manner, yeah. okay? You can't do that when you're face-to-face -face communicating with people. So as the technology has grown, what I've chosen to do is to not use most of it. So when I'm speaking to people, I will build up that communication. I will use email, texting, video text. I do a lot of video text, yeah. um, voicemail. I will use all of those to continue the communication, especially email to um, have a copy of whatever the conversation's about. Do you ever send letters? I send a lot of posted stuff. One of my little tips and tricks is I travel a lot and I get books. Whoa. People are always giving me uh, books wherever I go, okay? So yeah. what I do with these books is um, I actually write a little note inside and say, hey, Ava, I was at this event. I heard this speaker, Tim, it was really cool. I thought I'd send you his book, enjoy. Now, I'm helping you. I'm not asking for anything, but now you're there going, well, hang on, that was really nice of him. Yeah. And so I, I very much try to use every other formula apart from the electronics. And the reason that is, is because everyone else is using the electronics. Now, I don't believe, I don't believe I'm a very good networker. I really don't because I don't have the small talk gene in me. I can't go into a room and go, oh, it's a pleasure. How are you? I can't do that. You know, and you're you're looking at me now. Let's be serious. It'd be creepy if I did. So I'm not <laughs> the guy that would do that. So yeah. whenever I go to an event and I've been invited to a business event, I go in, I say thank you to the host. I go straight to the bar and order a whiskey. You know, respectfully, you can't do that at your age. <laughs> and I just sit there and I try to avoid everyone. Okay, but I have noticed that I'm okay at communicating. The reason I look and appear so fantastic at communicating with all of these wonderful people is because everyone else is getting so bad at it. You know, yeah. a bad hamburger still wins the award when compared to a bunch of shitty hamburgers. So while everyone's getting worse at communicating, I'm excelling purely by staying still. So are you saying like by not talking or by talking better than most? Because of how by, by avoiding by avoiding the common routes of communication. Okay. Um, what are the common routes? Like even in like a networking event. Your 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 anything electronic. Okay. okay. And I whenever I go to a, um, a, a business uh, to do a consultant thing, the first thing I do is we have electronic free Monday or we have electronic free Wednesday or something like that. Where on this day, you cannot email anybody or you can't tweet Instagram here because there's so many different ways of doing it. Like like this morning. Here's it. Here's a perfect example. I woke up this morning. Uh, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. So when we arranged this, I asked you to send me an invite. You sent me the invite. On the invite, it didn't tell me how we were going to do this communication. Okay? I didn't know if it was Zoom, Skype, phone call, Facebook Live. I had no idea how we were going to do this. So I had to communicate with you. Now, I had your email, but the first thing I had to do was, okay, what is she going to respond to first? I need to go back to the original route of the messaging. And I didn't know whether or not it was Facebook, uh, Twitter, or LinkedIn. So I had to quickly look at all those three to find out where it was that we had communicated. Okay? That's what, go back to the 90s. We didn't have that. 
If yeah. I wanted to contact you, I'd have phoned you or gone around your house and knocked on your door. So that makes it awkward. So what I tend to do is I tend to tell people, if everyone is sending out emails, if everyone is sending out newsletters, if everyone is sending out tweets, do whatever they're not because it's quieter. So I'm a great believer in sending out letters, sending out books, sending out notes. Um, I'll even go on Amazon and um, just find a little something and send it. And I always try to make it cheap. Now, bear in mind, you said at the beginning that I deal with uh, rich people. Mm-hmm. I deal with billionaires and zillionaires and royalty. Um, my company is well known for dealing with basically the top 2% of the planet. I will quite openly send them something that's, um, that's cheap and usable. Now, I had a client actually fly in from the Middle East and um, I know he loves his shoes. He has handmade shoes. I actually sent him via Amazon, because it was free shipping, a plastic shoehorn. Okay, now the guy spends thousands upon thousands upon thousands for one pair of shoes. And I sent him a shoehorn that I think was $7 or something from Amazon. And the reason I did that is because when I spoke to him before, he had this uh, silver and this metal shoehorn. I sent it to him ahead of his trip because being plastic, he could carry it on the plane for him because most people put a shoehorn in their in their um, travel case. Mm-hmm. They don't take it in their um, bag that goes on the plane. And when you're on a plane for 15 hours, you like to slip your shoes off. Mm-hmm. So by having that little plastic shoehorn that's not going to set off the alarm through security, he can now put his shoes back on okay. Yeah. So it was just that little thought, and the guy's worth billions. He made such a fuss of me taking that little thought and sending in that gift. I've sent people travel plugs. To be honest with you, I think I've got about 400 travel plugs sitting in the garage. And whenever I know someone's actually traveling overseas, when we send them the itinerary, we send them a universal travel plug because they get over there and suddenly realize that they can't use that stuff. It's those tiny little things that show you care and they won't care till you show you care. So use every other form of communicating you to that person outside of the electronics. No, and especially like what you said was um, interpretation. Like I had a conversation about that the other day. Like you can interpret anything in any form, but when you're giving gifts and you're taking and taking the time to think of the little things, that sends a huge message. Like I was gonna ask you, like you know, how do you convey emotion? But that alone, being yeah. able- that's incredible i love that yeah just keep it keep it really simple i think the 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 goal is and this and i'm i'm having this conversation with you now and trying to make sure that i can give you as much as i can um just to be quite honest with you i'm talking with you guys as though i'm talking to my kids i want um i want you to uh not not take on too much when you actually leave education okay Um, And what I mean is that a lot of people get out there and they go, okay, I've got to be taken seriously now. I've got to use this CRM, I've got it. They will install all of these things on you. They will put all of these things on your shoulder telling you how you should act, how you should be. You don't need that. It's been 23, 24 years I've run Bluefish Concierge. Mm -hmm. Um, The world's leading concierge, and I'm not pitching it or marketing it, but the leading concierge firm out there dealing with some of the most affluent people from all over the world. 
This was the first year we bought a CRM program, okay? We, there was no need, okay? You know, we dealt with about 700 of the richest people from around the world. When you're dealing with really rich people, you don't need, you know, thousands upon thousands of clients. You only need a few to make them very happy. I didn't need a CRM. And I had in my calendar, and I would speak to someone on a Tuesday, and then after the phone call, I would literally do a calendar invite to myself a month later, just to do a follow-up, the points of the call on it, what we were gonna talk about, and follow-up. By the way, he mentioned he was getting a puppy. Ask him, did he get the puppy? Doing. And then I wake up on a Sunday, and I look at what I'm getting up to, and I realize I've got to call Jimmy on Tuesday to find out if he got his puppy. So that was it. But you know that it takes effect. It shows that I care. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to understand. And better still, it's easy to action. People get technology and programs now and spend so much effort on using the technology that they're not doing what it was supposed to do, which is ease up their life and enhance the communication with their, their clients, their team, their family. So I don't use a lot of technology. I use what I can and only when it means I don't have to pay attention to it. Yeah, so what do you, is that how you keep relationships healthy? Because I know you have to like maintain it in order for them to be more trusting and be able to, uh, for for you to be able to go out and say, hey, can you connect me with this person or that person? Is it just sending things or do you do more than that? And how consistently? Um, Well, this is a pile of books I got out yesterday. Um, And I think there's about 12 books there. So by the end of today, I'd have written something on each book and sent out uh, 12 books. Um, I will also send out books and gifts and magazines um, to people that I haven't worked with for quite a while. So depending on where they are in my my 300-year-old oak tree uh, analogy, if they are clients, then maybe they'll get something at minimum every six weeks, okay? And when I say something, it could be me getting my phone and just going, Hey, John, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I'm working on this. A little video message, okay? It could be part of the communication. It could be a voicemail. It could be a magazine. It could be a T-shirt that I thought was cool that I thought his son may like. It could be anything, but I make sure every six weeks, there is a touch point. So every six weeks, there's been something that me and you have connected on. I'll make sure it's big. And then when it's done, I'll make a note of what it was. I'll do a calendar invite for myself. Last time I said that, and so I'll end up with like these different things showing me what I've done through that period. Now, if it's someone I worked with in the Vatican that I don't think I'll work with again, I don't want to discard that. I've just made a great connection with the Vatican. Why the hell, after working so hard to get that relationship, would I discard it? Yeah. Once a year, my calendar invite will pop up and I'll remember to send these touch points. And again, it could be a video, it could be a magazine. I may even be in a magazine. I may be in an article, it may be my book. And I go, hey, you may not have known this, but thanks to you making me look cool, I've got my own book. So I thought I'd sign it and say thank you. So thanks, Ava, and I've sent the book. So just make sure it's easy touch points. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's a true story. I was in, I live in Los Angeles, California, and just north of us is a place called Ojai. And it's a beautiful place heading up to Santa Barbara. It's just outside of Los Angeles. It's very, uh, it's just a gorgeous place to be. And so this client of mine had a party up in Ojai, 
and uh, he collects uh, planes, horses, vintage cars, and wine. And we got invited to his party. So I went up to his party, he's a client of mine, and I went up there and I bought him a little gift. And I turned up at the party and there were a couple of guys that I know that own the jet char company that are in Los Angeles. And they're always trying to get us to do business with them. And uh, I saw them and they were carrying a box of wine. So it was a box with six bottles of wine in it. And I said to them, I said, what's that for? And they went, oh yeah, well, you know, we've been invited, which is pretty bloody obvious because we were both going into the same place. <laughs> and he went, yeah, we just bought him some wine. And I said to him, I said, so how much do you know about wine? And they went, oh, you know, not a lot. I said, so let me get this right. You're going to a guy's house that is incredibly affluent, that collects wine, and you're going to give him six bottles of wine because the, the steward at Bevmo told you they were brilliant wine. And they were like, no, 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 we went to it. So he's trusting somebody else's opinion to impress this guy. And I knew that when you go to someone's party and you bring a gift, very, very rarely, and especially the more affluent the client is, because they usually have people to welcome you at the door, the gift will never make it to the host. They will go, oh, thank you very much, I'll take that. It's like a wedding, you place it on a table. So these guys turn up with a wine, and I'm thinking to myself, that gift isn't gonna make it through the front door, okay? I was correct. They took the wine, they said thank you, and they stuck it over. It stole our thunder straight away. So the party goes on, the client comes over to me, and the client um, starts chatting with me, and I went, oh, thanks for the party. And I said to him, and I know he did this before, I said, oh, are well, you going to do some uncorking tonight then? Because he uncorks some wine and allows people, basically he likes to show off a bit that he has his wine. Yeah. So I said, oh, are you going to do another wine uncorking? And he went, yeah, I am. And I said, well, you know I like whiskey, so I'm not going to you know, deprive anyone. I'll just stand at the back. But do you know what does bother me about wine? My wife likes wine. And every time I take the foil off of the top, I'm always cutting my bloody fingers. And I pulled out and I went, so I got this foil cap remover. Here you go. Does that ever happen to you? And he said, you know, it does. He said, and I use a knife. He said, and I'm scared of losing a thumb. Thank you. This was plastic with the two little silver knife things. You just put it on the top, spin it, and it takes it off. The funny thing was, he was so over the moon with that little thoughtful gift that when he did the uncorking, he actually uncorked all six bottles using this. And I had the two guys from the jet company, and I went, that's my gift. And they were so peed off. <laughs> the point is to pay attention to the little things. Yeah. Don't try to compete. If a guy collects, you know, $5,000 pair of shoes, don't buy him a $5,000 pair of shoes. Buy him a, a, a shoe cleaning kit, a way of transporting shoes without damaging it. A bloody shoe horn. But focus on the small stuff because it's the small stuff that really matters. No, of course. And if anything, that's like one of the biggest takeaways. That and how you build relationships with Ben, how you build relationships with you. It's so early in the morning. Uh, and, I'm and actually I know gonna, have to, uh, gonna have to shoot, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I took a guess at the time. Well, anyways, thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed having you. Um, and I hope to talk to you again. I hope so. Thanks, Dave. All the best. Bye. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you like what we're doing, please help us grow by sharing our content. And if you have any recommendation, for future guests, please email me at agwetrick at gmail.com.